welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, Raina shares her story with being raised in the Mormon church and how she was able to escape and regain her sense of self. Together, we talk about Mormon culture, dissociation from our past religious identities, and how hard it can be to change your ideological perspective. This is a beautiful episode with such an amazing person that is so vulnerable about the struggle that is leaving religion. I know a lot of listeners have reached out about how the spiritual trauma episode with Fundy Friday resonated with them in so many ways, and so I really wanted to touch on this topic again. And so we have a very personal narrative about what it looks like to leave the church and finding your own liberation. So I just want to say thank you, Reina, for sharing your story. There is so much strength in your vulnerability here, and I know that so many people are going to resonate with what you say today. So tune in. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's a lot. I know, which I'm <laughs> excited for. It's a lot of who Raina is. Which I think makes sense, like given mm-hmm. how formative religion is. Yeah, I, I just got really intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I was born into the church, mm-hmm. so I didn't know there was another way to be. Yeah. Like, I didn't know there was another option. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at, like, other kids and thinking, like, wow, they get to live so freely. But, like, I couldn't fathom, like, being able to just live a normal life without restrictions, without feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Or, like, somehow I was, like, doing something wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... I think a huge, like, foundation of who I am now came from my lens of the world, like, at the time. Yeah. So I've had to overcome, like, a lot of guilt. Can we back up? I feel like I'm, I'm like... back up whenever you want. Yeah. <laughs> I know you have notes. I'm also here to, yes. like, guide you and do this whole thing Thank with you. you. So, like, you don't have to look at the notes anymore. Okay. Like, like I, I like, if you just, like, let go. So, yeah. M- Mormonism. Yes. I think the first place to start is maybe just like, how did you get into it? Were you raised up in it as a kid? Yeah. So I was born into it. My dad was also born into it. Mm -hmm. My mom actually converted to marry him. Mm -hmm. So she had a very different background. Mm -hmm. And I think the combination of my dad's family expectations and then my mom really wanting to try to form like a wholesome family environment really combined to result in like a very religious upbringing. Mm. Yeah, I was born into it as were all of my siblings and a lot of my peers. Mm -hmm. A lot of my peers went to the church as well. Were members of the church, sorry. Did you go to like Mormon school? Is there Mormon or how? There isn't an actual like Mormon school uh-huh. Um, not the way that like you have Catholic schools, right, right. but once you get to high school, 
for an hour before every every school day at like six in the morning you go to seminary so you get an hour of like church teaching before school for four years wow there's also church on sunday usually like weekday activities like youth group or something on tuesday nights wow and then every so often on weekends too so like all the time yeah very immersed like as immersed Mm. as they could possibly get you Mm. (laughs) it was a lot yeah and i mean you believed it oh very much that was reality Mm. really i don't even remember there being a point where i thought like oh i get to choose this it's like Mm. no this is just what life is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then any alternative just seemed very scary they really painted a picture outside of the church of like you know you don't have god in your life you don't have direction like we have the answers we're the safe place So that was very much like what the environment was like growing up. They really drill it into you. They talk a lot about how they are the one true church and how you're so lucky, like so lucky and blessed and like chosen to be in this organization. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that always like really stood out to me as a kid, just feeling like, oh, wow, like, thank goodness (laughs) I'm safe, you know? Yeah. Which then makes it very scary to leave. Yes. It just outside of the church felt like a huge mystery, Mm -hmm. like a very alluring one because it really to be honest, looked like everyone was having fun, mm-hmm. like more fun than I was having. But it just seemed like, oh, well, that just comes at a price, you know, like yeah. there's going to be consequences for like straying. <laughs> right, 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 right. Could you say more about what your religious beliefs looked like? A lot of people might not know much about what Mormonism is. True. Yeah. Um, Mormonism actually is Christianity. It's pretty strict version. I think I would say stricter than your average, like, non-denominational Christian or something. I guess it qualifies as a fundamentalist Christian religion. It's a really central part of your life. Mm. It's, you know, prayers every night. I think I, I mentioned throughout the week, like, numerous activities a lot of expectations. I remember just feeling very much like being a member of the church Mm -hmm. was expected to be the center of your life. There was even a lot of pressure, I remember, to go to BYU. Um, For anyone not familiar, like Brigham Young University in Utah. (laughs) Your face right now. That's where my sister went. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure to go there. I remember in high school, as like a senior, people at church asking me, oh, so you're going to BYU? Or Mm -hmm. are you going to BYU? That was the question versus like where you going to college wow and then like oh like weird looks when i was like oh i'm going to miami university of ohio (laughs) goodbye and they're like their next question is oh well is there a church there like is there an institute there because institute is like the college version of mormons Mm -hmm. so it's like the college group and i think there were like six of them at miami university (laughs) so not a huge presence there and i remember for boys there's a lot of pressure to go on the two-year mission trips Mm. i mean i knew people that actually like told their kids, yeah, we'll pay for your college if you go on a mission or we'll buy you a car like if you go on a mission. So yeah, it's just always like the next step is, okay, well, a big, a major church, you know, step for you. And the women, my sister went on a mission. So Mm -hmm. some of the women do that too. They do. It's not as pushed. It's really pushed for boys. Um, Why do you think it's so different? I think it's because of sex. I think they're trying to keep them from having sex because they send boys when they're 19, mm-hmm. like when they leave, would leave for college, yeah. and then it's two years. So I feel like that's the height of when boys would leave home 
and mm-hmm. not be supervised. Right. So they're going to send them on a really intense mission trip to make sure that they turn into right return missionary husband material. <laughs> and I think even talking about the mission trip, I mean, yeah. a lot of people might not have any idea what that even looks like because they don't allow you to contact your family mm-hmm. other than letters. Right. On Christmas. Christmas and phone like calls. Easter or something yeah. and your birthday. Yeah. But like beyond that, you cannot contact your family. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It's completely immersive and you don't even know ahead of time where you're going. You get a yeah. letter from the church telling you where in the world you're going to go for two years. Yeah. My sister did all of this. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah. I know. Crazy. But it's crazy because I didn't know that before. Yeah. So like even hearing about this, like, yeah. oh, a mission, right? Like it's different. Like, and a lot not, of people. You don't have don't access know. to music. You don't have access to any sort of Mm-mm. thing, any sort of internet access for that to – you come back to a whole different culture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like crazy. a different person too. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of – a lot of that. And then for girls, it was, oh, well, you know, the gold standard is to marry a return missionary. Oh, that's like, really? Oh, yeah. Every girl was like, oh, I want to, yeah, my perfect man, I'll go to BYU and <laughs> he'll be a return missionary and then we'll have our five children. And <laughs> that's mean. But I mean, it was kind of a stereotype for a reason because yeah. that was the standard that they really told everyone to strive for. For sure. That's why the ring before spring saying comes about, right? Where they're like, oh, you start school in the fall and then before spring you already get a ring. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I haven't heard that one. Oh, I heard yeah. going to get your MRS degree. Oh yeah. Like you go too. go to college to meet a husband. Yeah. So. Fascinating. So then if you're saying you chose to go to Miami University mm-hmm. instead of BYU. Yeah. What was going on? Because I knew at the time that I wanted to be an English major and I was looking at the English departments and I knew that they had like a good program mm-hmm. and I liked that they were closer to home. How dare you put your academics before your spirituality arena? I know. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Did you get that pushback from anybody? Not explicitly. Okay. I yeah. just got... It was more like the facial expressions or like the tone of voice, like, oh, Miami, what's there? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Not Jesus. (laughs) Apparently not. And I was in college when I actually ended up leaving the church, too, Mm. so... Again, it makes sense why they would want you to go to a church that re- or a school that reinforces what you're learning at church. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, because then your community is mm-hmm. reflecting all the same values, then mm-hmm. it's really hard to leave when everybody's doing the same thing yeah. that you know. That's why it's social pressure. Exactly. So then you go to Miami University still being Mormon. Yeah, when I first started. Yeah. Um, and actually, my first year, I roomed with a girl who was Mormon. Oh, wow. We actually met, you know, the church had ways of connecting students who would be attending the same schools so that yeah. they could meet up and whatnot. And so I ended up rooming with her. Mm-hmm. We didn't get along very well. It got even weirder once I stopped going to church. Mm. Um, once I quit getting up on Sundays and going with her when she yeah. left. I think she was very put off and like disturbed mm. by the fact that I was drifting from the church. And I think she was someone who seemed very involved with it. That was mm-hmm. at least the sense that I got from her. So I think the idea of leaving was just like super horrifying well tell me more though because i mean you don't just stop waking up for sunday for no reason like what's going on at that time what was stopping you from going on sundays so i was a freshman my dad was also very sick with cancer Mm. so i was really struggling with some deep you know life questions also just over time i think since i was a teenager i'd really kind of been struggling with the church I really did sincerely believe it Mm. and try my absolute hardest 
to follow the guidelines, you know, live life the way I thought I was supposed to. I remember praying so hard, reading my scriptures, trying to go to the activities and just not feeling that like euphoria they described Mm. when they say like, oh, you feel the spirit, you know, it's true without a doubt. And I never was able to feel like that God was actually listening Mm. or that, you know, people talked about being able to feel his presence and that warmth. And I just continually was waiting for that. And Mm. For a long time, thinking something was wrong with me for not feeling that rather than because the notion that maybe this teaching is wrong just didn't enter Mm -hmm. as a possibility. I had struggled with that for a long time and had really kind of been feeling my beliefs decline as time went on. Being able to leave for school, no longer be in my parents' house and therefore have the choice to stop going to church. Once I realized after a while, hey, there's no one making me go now. Yeah. Which was scary and also kind of cool. And plus, to be honest, I was like, I'm tired on Sundays. I really would like to have a weekend. Yeah. So I didn't want to go. I didn't like it. And it felt very freeing, but also very terrifying. Yeah. I was going to ask. Because there was still that part of me that really thought, oh, well, you know, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm not going to church, going to the activities, like is Heavenly Father going to be angry with me? Yes. Am I leaving the church behind? Yes. And I was starting to think (laughs) that it wasn't true, but on the off chance that it was, I was like, I could be kind of damning myself right now for eternity. Right. So that seemed like a big decision to Mm -hmm. be making at 19 years old (laughs) about my eternal soul. (laughs) Right. So it was pretty heavy. I mean, it really weighed on me Mm -hmm. for a while. But once I started not going and realizing that lightning bolts weren't coming down to hit me, (laughs) so to speak, and those doubts still kind of stayed on and off. And then finally, after my dad died, Mm. some things came out after he passed away that not to make it a whole sob story. And the focus really is less on like my family dynamics and more on leaving the church. But Mm -hmm. it's really... They interconnected. So after my dad passed away, we ended up finding out that he uh, had had extramarital affairs. Mm -hmm. And he had also sat on or he had been on like a panel of upper level people at church who made decisions about excommunicating people who made those same kinds of mistakes. Mm. And so the hypocrisy just hit me so hard. And also the realization, you know, they teach that people who are called to these positions at church were chosen by God and that these men Mm -hmm. are receiving modern day revelation straight from Heavenly Father Right, that this is the person who's supposed to fill this position. And so the belief was you had to be spiritually worthy Mm -hmm. to hold one of these high up positions at church. Yeah. Had real divine communication been coming from God, my dad would not have been considered worthy in the church to hold that position. And so to me, I was like, well, this is clear proof this is a clear flaw in the logic of how this church is supposed to work Mm. that kind of was the nail in the coffin for me after years of really kind of struggling with some of the church doctrine wow 
So it was a lot. It was a very heavy time to both lose a parent and then also undergo a massive spiritual transition. And to redefine maybe your concept of your dad. Yeah. Having to face the reality that, oh, your parents aren't perfect and they're flawed humans Mm. also. That's a lot of change and trauma all at once. Yeah. In like a couple years. Mm. A few years. Uh, It wasn't a super clean cut exit, however. The church actually continued to contact me for years Mm. after leaving, including me looking out the window and seeing a car parked in front of my house, getting calls from the local bishop, even though I hadn't told anyone in the church that I had moved into an area. So somehow they still knew where I was moving. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like harassment. It was. I asked them numerous times to stop coming to my door, calling, emailing, and it continued until I got a notarized letter sent to church headquarters in Utah officially asking to be removed from church from the roster to not be a member anymore. That's what it took. (laughs) Seems a little predatory. I'm just like hearing it, right? Yeah. Interestingly, at the time, I remember being frustrated and annoyed and angry, both at kind of the guilt and shame that I had grown up with Mm. and feeling like this was something that was kind of done to me. Mm. And then also that they wouldn't even leave me alone after I left. So I had a ton of anger that I was trying to put somewhere that I wasn't processing for Mm -hmm. a long time. Additionally, I realized how toxic of an organization I felt it was. And I still feel it is. I think I've gotten to a place now Mm -hmm. where I'm not as, I don't have that anger anymore. I think I've really processed a lot of it. But in a more clear, logical sense, I can still look at the situation and say, I think that, you know, spiritual abuse is a real thing. Yeah. And I think that the Mormon church is guilty of a lot of that, Mm. as well as a lot of other fundamental Christian churches. Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. (laughs) Uh, Without a doubt in my mind. Could you say more of why you think that to be so? I think because the level at which they indoctrinate you from such a young age and the gaslighting that goes on and the fact that, you know, after having done therapy and actually reading Leaving the Fold, (laughs) which you let me borrow, thank you. (laughs) They really mold the way you think so that it fits The truth that they are telling you. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little disturbing to look back on. And interestingly, when I remember this, like even as I'm talking about Mm -hmm. this to you, it feels like a different life. I mean, it's foggy when I look back on it. Like almost like you're disconnected from that sense of self. Yeah. It almost feels like, well, that wasn't really actually me because it's certainly not the me that I feel I am now. For sure. I resonate with you in a lot of ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know you have you also can relate a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people who have left such fundamental religions can understand that level of like dissociation from our previous self. It's very strange. Yeah. And it's really only been the last few years that I've actually kind of recognized, oh, this, this was, you know, arguably a cult. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like the control that they exert over your life, And then how difficult it is to get out of it and to leave it behind. It's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. To something that you didn't get a choice. No. Yeah, I was just born into this reality. Right. 
there is part of me that really resents that because I'm just now getting to be more of an assertive person, someone who's speaking up for my needs and someone who is actually validating their emotions. It's really hard. You grow up being taught that your feelings and your emotions and perceptions as a human are inherently sinful and that the only reason you are worthy is because like God is being merciful. So when you grow up internalizing that you need outside intervention to achieve who you're supposed to be. Or to literally do anything at all. Yeah. Because (laughs) for more context for anyone who hasn't been raised in like a fundamental context, there's this sense of like, I want to take away the self and the desires of the self because those are not God. And so today I remember going back through my own journal and like reading my own words, which is weird. And you dissociate to read that of me saying, God, please take away my desires and let you move through me today. Yeah. So then every day you go through the world being like, oh, like, do I want this? Well, wait. I need to let go because God's going to speak to me. And you're continually shutting out yourself so that when, yeah, when you do come out of religion trying to ask like, oh, what do I want for the last whatever many years you've been in it, you've stopped. Yeah. One thing, it's interesting that you bring that up because one pattern I noticed with Mm -hmm. myself in relationships, like romantic relationships or even friend relationships after leaving the church was that I struggled to even define what my own interests were. Oh, yeah. And so I would mold myself to whoever I was spending time with at the time because I honestly and truly did not know really what I as a person wanted. And so it's really only been the last like five years of my life that I've really been working on defining who I am. (laughs) Hello? Hi, did you remove life? Yes, I did. Is the pizza here? Okay, thank you. (laughs) Intermission. Uh, that must be something I'll keep in there. Like, oh, the pizza's here. Oh, bitch. Hold That's on. so funny. <laughs> well, the pizza was delicious. <laughs> like, I'm so glad. <laughs> it's like also casually my birthday, so we had to have pizza, which, yeah, it came at a great time. Um, Perfect timing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you were saying that this is also the first time that you started to really like understand your sense of self. Yeah. And I really resonate with that in so many ways because Mm -hmm. you're just told from so long to be a servant to God. Your life is to serve. So your whole life, your whole existence, your whole purpose is to bring other people to Christ or, you know, whatever religion that is for you. And so, yeah, when you strip that away, you have almost no purpose in this world once you strip away all of faith what's the point at all like if if god's not telling me these things then why do i exist right if you're here to be his agent basically right which is like frequently what you're taught Mm -hmm. that is one thing mormonism has in common with a lot of christianity Mm -hmm. is this drive for missionary work yeah recruitment not unlike mlms what is that multi-level marketing schemes oh (laughs) So Mormons are just a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> Maybe that will be the title. Basically, it's true. Well, tell me why you think that. Because it really bases a lot on recruitment. Yeah. On getting more members. Mm. And you invest so much of your life in it that it's really hard to get out of it. And you end up paying more than you end up making in a way not monetarily but yeah spiritually yeah it kind of is like a big old mlm (laughs) yeah what would you say is the biggest way that this experience shaped you 
Mm. I know I'm sure there's tons of ways, right? But like maybe what is one of the most like difficult ones that you've been like struggling to let go of? I think feeling upset and kind of upset at being robbed of a childhood slash young adulthood without shame. I think shame was always such a big, you know, presence in my life that Mm -hmm. that is something I've really struggled that I resent. Things like being able to explore my sexuality without shame. Yeah, I came out as bisexual when I was 27, which I think is, you know, not late for everyone, but it was later than like the curve. But, you know, sex is so taboo, you know, so my relationship with it was tough at first when I first started having sex. Mm -hmm. So just not feeling shame about my body, not feeling shame about pleasure and enjoying it. (laughs) Like, those were all things that were big no-nos growing up. Right. Masturbation is forbidden. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Even if yeah. you're married. Yeah. Because it's sinful, apparently, to <laughs> basically experience pleasure outside of the context of, you know, the act of procreation, I guess. Oh, interesting. So can you not have sex for pleasure? You can, but they're very big on the fact that it's a beautiful thing meant to only be between a married couple. Yeah. So, you know, pleasure without your partner is, I guess, like subversive. Which is very restrictive. Extremely. I'm not sure all Christian, I guess they probably would. Yeah, all fundamentalists probably would fall into that same camp too. Masturbation is not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it wasn't allowed for me either. Yeah. Pornography, Mm -hmm. not okay. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Homosexuality, not okay. okay. (laughs) Do you feel like being in the church prevented you from understanding that aspect of yourself? I don't think it prevented, but I think it delayed. Yeah. And I think it kind of stunted because Mm. I can look back now. Yeah. And recognize having crushes on girls when I was 13. Mm. But at the time, I actually specific- I specifically remember one girl I was fascinated by at girls camp, like church camp, ironically. Oh, God. <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> and I just couldn't stop, like, looking at her all week. And I couldn't figure out why. And I was like, why am I, like, so fascinated by this girl? Because yeah. it didn't occur to me, oh, that's sexual attraction. Right. I can think women are attractive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in my head, it was so, well, no, like, you only like boys that way because I'm a girl. So that's just how it is. So bisexuality or any other kind of sexuality other than heterosexuality was not an option. For sure. (laughs) Which makes a ton of sense because your society didn't allow you to even have that thought, right? Right. Right, Because things like cognitive dissonance. How could you hold the concept that you were a good person of faith? And also even acknowledge any hint of the possibility that you might like something that is quote-unquote sinful within your structure Mm -hmm. i mean as someone who equally had that same experience where i had no idea it just didn't fit so it wasn't an option (laughs) do you feel like you were fighting it just curious because this is on mine because like i never felt like i was fighting anything i never felt like i was fighting it i just didn't recognize it exactly that's what it was that's what scares me i'm like how many people don't even know yeah because so deeply ingrained are these perspectives that they just don't even know yeah and then for a number of years once i was distanced from the church a little more for a long time i was in that place of like oh well i think women are really attractive but i'm not attracted to them sexually and it's like as time has gone on (laughs) i see you (laughs) winking at me (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm yeah. like, bitch. <laughs> no, you like girls. Like, stop it. <laughs> no, no, but it's true. It's true. That I think but this- it took a while to recognize it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is an important thing because someone yeah. else equally reached out to me recently and was like, hey, like, I think I might be gay and I don't know. Yeah. And this is very, like, unstable feeling to, like, not really necessarily know. And I'm like, yeah. Yes. It is. Welcome. Hi. We're here. We've been waiting for <laughs> yes, you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so then I have to ask too, I mean, how did you know that you were not straight? I think it was in college. But even then, in my head, it still seemed, oh my God, I can't believe how like problematic this is going to sound. But in my head at the time, it almost felt like, well, that's gone too far right now. Like, just... Mm. Calm down. Like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Say more. Yeah. What do you mean? It just felt, I guess, scary to actually turn those thoughts and desires into like, oh, I could date women. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. That seemed terrifying. Yeah, of course. And it seemed like too much to almost try to take on. Yeah. And I just thought, well, it's just easier if I just, you know, stick to dating men because it's what everybody knows. It's what everyone expects of me at this point, mm-hmm. just because I've only dated men so far. It's like, yeah. why rock the boat? Yeah. You know, which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. To backtrack a little, recognizing it was the first step. Right. Just because it was not presented as an option. For sure. For <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I say this because I've had this very similar yes. journey where it's like, Oh, am I gay? Maybe. I kind of feel it, but maybe. How do I really know? Mm -hmm. I've existed for all these other years feeling completely straight, but not acknowledging all the (laughs) – very similar to what you say of, like, getting into these, like, almost, like, mini obsessions, Mm -hmm. crushes, whatever we're going to call them, about people Mm -hmm. and not really knowing what to do with that energy. Like, why was I so nervous to be around beautiful women? And you're always like, oh, well, do I want to be them? And it's like, no, I think I just really liked them. But you think that you want to be them. And it's like, no, you just have a crush. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. At least from my side, like, I knew I was not straight when I first, like, had sex with a woman. Then I was like, (laughs) (laughs) without a doubt, gay. Like, without a doubt, gay. Then now the question is, do I like men at all? I don't know. (laughs) It's just like, game changer it was it was like it was that like whoa okay my body is reacting on a whole different level revelation but like even yeah even as i start to date women it's fascinating to think about like you meet women that want to have kids yeah and like even in my ideology of my world i've always been like oh i don't know if i want to have kids but i've never Mm -hmm. truly pers like actually honestly thought about what would it look like to have a kid with another woman Mm -hmm. because then all the gender concepts of fears of like me being the like all of those things just kind of disappear and you're just like, whoa. So, like, I think it makes a lot of sense that when we're going through these huge changes that it's very unstable yeah. and it's very unsettling because we're thinking of completely different possibilities than we've ever thought of yeah. before. It introduces potential futures that you would have never considered yeah. accessible to you or yeah. potentially what you would end up doing. Exactly. And the wild part is I didn't, I didn't even – feel that way until I met someone that I had feelings for Mm -hmm. that wanted those things and now I'm here going like oh my god thinking about them so it's not like exactly yeah and it's like so like even then it's like god so many ideas and I think that like that is and will be the level of internalized homophobia of just like 
you know, this is how you live your life. This is who you get married to. And like taking away those constructs and really redefining for yourself is not an easy process. Yeah. It really peels back a lot of just assumptions Mm -hmm. and things that you didn't even know could be choices. Yes. Like, oh, wait, it's it's not static. Like, this isn't just how it is. Right. And I think that particularly people who have left religion are in this like very fertile ground Mm -hmm. to start asking all of these questions, right? Because you believe in this huge meaning making thing in your life god the purpose your whole life and when you strip that away and realize oh i need to redefine my whole value set mm-hmm. then asking things about your quest your sexuality like yeah. god i mean i've already gone through the biggest meaning question ever i mean you can readdress this too like it puts you into this flexible mode yeah that's uh, true yeah like, i've handled you know i mean since i was old enough to develop yeah. consciousness <laughs> to really become self-aware yeah i have also been living in this environment of you have to follow jesus and get baptized mm-hmm. and you know meet this whole checklist and Which, same yeah so like the fact that i got up and denounced homosexuality as sin in the front mm. of my class and it was just like this is the worst thing here's the quotes in the bible it's so hard to hold that level of who you were then and to know that you thought so much so that this was the truth like so much that you would have you know had been pushed to it like under your head we talked about even that thing of you know mental abuse that they did when we talked about with Monday Fridays like I would have said yeah I'm a Jesus follower and so like to know that level of stern belief and then to let that go and be like I was wrong Mm-hmm. I was completely wrong about how I defined my life. At that point, now you encounter these other things. You're like, I was wrong about my sexuality too. I was wrong about these thoughts. I was wrong about that. And I think like that grace yeah. of learning to be like, wow, I was so stern and to go a 180 is huge. Yeah. Also to like give yourself a break. There were so many expectations. Mm-hmm. felt like you could never meet all of them. And I just felt burned out trying yeah. to be this perfect Mormon, um, never feeling good enough because they literally teach in order to get into heaven, the highest level of heaven, if we really want to start. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some like crazy details, but to simplify it down, there's basically three levels of heaven. Mm. If you're absolutely perfect and do everything the way you're supposed to and meet all the criteria, you get into the like top tier heaven. That's the celestial kingdom. (laughs) And it's like, you literally have to be without sin to get in. And it's like, wow. And it's like, but no one can be. And so they're like, well, that's where Jesus took your sins for you. You know, you're thinking like, I have to be perfect at like 12 years old. You're thinking about, oh my God, where am I going to spend eternity? And it's a lot for a kid. (laughs) Well, right. And even within like Christianity, it's very interesting. When I was Christian, I used to debate the Mormons that were coming to the door and stuff Mm -hmm. and evangelizing to my family that they place a heavy emphasis on works Mm -hmm. where they'll be like, yes, Jesus saved you, but you still need to do these, these, and these things to get to this level or this level or that level. And it's like, Fundamentally, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if Jesus was the lamb who died for your sins and wiped them all away clean, it's not like he left this weird hierarchy. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Just want to be very clear. Like, from a biblical point, like, a lot of Christians have a huge problem with Mormonism for many of the reasons this included. Oh, yeah. That they place this heavy emphasis. And then there's such interesting 
I'm like trying, I don't want to like speak poorly about religions, right? Like I never want to talk poorly about people's belief systems that are very important to them, but it's also very concerning to me when there is levels of like structural, you know, mental abuse that occurs. Yes. Kind of when there are people who are higher up in the church claiming to have a closer authority to God. Mm -hmm. And because of that, telling people that they've been called to these positions or that positions, which really has a huge effect Mm -hmm. on directing their life and their whole experience. And so like that's a level of control and manipulation that it's intense manipulation and i consider what i went through very emotionally and spiritually abusive you know really questioning my self-worth as a human yeah i think it has a lot to do with why my self-esteem was so low yes growing up i really see a strong connection there um and i think that's common if yes i would say that's very normal because Uh, if you take the bible literally to what it's saying it's saying you are sinful yeah that's why you need Jesus. Right. Because you are so flawed that God would have turned his way away from you. The Old Testament mm-hmm. God would have turned away from you, and that's why you need Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, it's a very interesting, complex situation here, right? Like, yeah. they're inherently denying your worth to put you into the situation where you constantly need something else. And, yeah, yeah. that's going to affect you because then every day you're trying to be a better Christian. But being a cre- better Christian means doing all these things – Plus, watching your thoughts because your thoughts are just as dangerous yes. as your actions, which is super problematic, right? So then if you even think about pornography or right. you think about lusting, you've already sinned. Oh, no. Talk about thought patrol. Yeah. It's very clear how anxiety could be linked to that. Now you're asking every single thought, is this sin? Is this okay? Is God okay with me? It sounds like anxiety. Like every single thought, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen if yeah. this thought is that? And now you see yourself in hell. Yeah. And this was, you know – as a young kid sitting in sacrament meeting, like repenting in my head and thinking, but then not knowing, well, am I forgiven? Uh, exactly. Am I forgiven yes. or am I not forgiven? Yes. This is what was occupying my thoughts as like a 15-year-old. Yes. Instead of just being able to focus on school, my future, my friends, who I am. And Tamagotchis. Right. Yeah. Kid stuff. Yeah. I think that was one thing I resented, was wanting to just be a kid and looking at my friends and even just... God, the restrictions. It was intense. The swimsuits, the modesty stuff. Can the, you say more? Yeah, you, um, you know, no two-piece swimsuits. Oh, wow. No, like, tube tops or short shorts or, I mean, nothing provocative. Mm. No tattoos. Only one piercing in the lobe of each ear. Oh, wow. For girls. Wow. Boys couldn't have piercings at all. No alcohol, no coffee, no tea. <laughs> I mean, you can just rattle off. No premarital sex. Like, yeah. Rattle it all off. Mm-hmm. So many things that you can't do just no 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 and i just remember looking at other families and being like can't we just be normal yeah like other families whose parents get up and just like make some coffee and Mm. like why is that bad right (laughs) yeah especially because probably media things like coffee you're probably seeing on a normal Mm day-to-day basis oh and i loved the smell yeah it's it's (laughs) like a very american culture piece yeah so i mean and just it was weird to want normal things like that but i longed for normalcy I didn't want to be weird. And yeah. sometimes it was embarrassing when mm. people in public and people at school, like kids at school, would ask you about being Mormon and make fun of you. Mm. And then you feel guilty for not defending the church because you're supposed to no matter what people are saying. But it's mm-hmm. embarrassing and it's hard to be a kid. Yeah. And you want to fit in. And so then you've got the guilt cycle yep, continues. Because now you're denying the Lord. Right. Which is like the unforgivable sin. Yeah. Just infusion into yeah. every aspect of your life and thought. Wow. So it was exhausting. Hmm. And I think it's cruel that it does this to people because I can't be 
We can't be the only ones. No, we're not. Oh, without a doubt, we're not. No, not at all. I think that's why it's so fascinating to me that there's not a lot of research on this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just like people have not, like people like me have not come into the space to start doing it or what's going on or people don't want to try and dismantle this or like look Mm -hmm. at this. But like the fact there's not enough looking at this in the psychological literature is just fascinating to me. Yeah. Not that I want to study it because I think it's it's so heavy. It's a lot. It's a lot of trauma work. Like that. It's a very it's a silent, lonely struggle to be someone in an intense religion, Mm -hmm. feeling trapped in it but afraid to leave. I mean, it's very it really is an abusive relationship. Yeah. Just the repercussions that can have this can have on people's lives. Yeah. It's fascinating because in this moment, I'm thinking of the person who's like hearing this, going like, these bitches. Like, it's just a religion. Like, why? Like, yeah. do they not have worse things to suffer through? And it's like, I guess to those people, yeah, there are worse things in the world, but this doesn't mean that this wasn't hugely difficult to go through for a lot of people, Yeah, you know? And I want to say this is huge. This is huge. This is your experience yeah. of your life. This is, there is nothing bigger than that. This was the center yes. of your life. Because you're taught that your religion is who you are. Right. So when you take that away, then it's like, well, who am I? Exactly. Who am I? What right. Did I- <laughs> right. That, like weird. No. And I think that a lot of people who have been in religion where it was something that was casual. Yeah. That's very different, right? Like there is a level of some people who truly internalize these religious beliefs yes. to define every aspect of why they are on this planet and every word and every breath and every moment. Yeah. And to those people, to let go of that ideological structure is traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Your whole – it's like a bomb dropped on your concept of self and purpose. Yes. That is what's hard to explain, like, to people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm Christian. Um, We go to church on, like, Christmas and Easter. In that context, I see religion as more of a facet in your life. A piece, yeah. It's more of – a tradition mm-hmm. less the driving force behind every day exactly so that is what you're having to overcome when you leave it yes and from the beginning of your childhood you're raised to know that if you mess up you will spend eternity in hell mm-hmm. and they tell you eternity in hell is the gnashing of the teeth mm-hmm. it is weeping and wailing exactly <laughs> just eternal torment as a kid mm-hmm Okay. They're scaring children with yeah. a literal horror movie. Exactly. <laughs> okay, and if you don't want to do that, you have to believe Jesus. Good luck. Yeah. Oh, and believing Jesus means monitoring your thoughts, yes. monitoring your biological desires, including sexuality and things like masturbation, yes. all these other things. Because if you don't, you won't get to Jesus. And remember, you're going to burn in hell. Yep. That's huge. Like, just that whole structure. If we could take, like, a step back from Christianity and look at that from an outsider perspective – If you described someone doing this to a child and just left out the detail that it's a religion. Yeah. They would say it's abuse. Yeah, like, okay. Until you say, oh, it's a church doing it. Exactly. There's a dragon. Right. If you don't believe in the dragon, it is going to burn you for the rest of your life crispy, crispy, crispy. Yeah, right? But, like, that's the thing. And if you heard that and you met someone who was like, oh, yeah, we're telling our child that they don't believe in the dragon, that they will die forever, you would look at them and say, wow, uh, that doesn't sound healthy. Yeah. That level of pressure. 
that level of internalization of all that sort of stuff. And it's just like, obviously, because religion has been a piece of our human existence for many years, even though it's declining at massively rapid rates. But for a long time, that has been a huge piece. So yeah, it makes sense that we would just find this to be normal. But is it truly Mm -hmm. when you take a step back? When you actually look at the behaviors. Exactly. And what the stringent guidelines you put on people's lives. Mm -hmm. And the control over people's lives. It's like it's none of your business how a person lives if they're not hurting anyone. Right. I want to ask you, and I think it's unfair because I only know about this because of personal context, so if it doesn't Mm. feel like it's appropriate to share, but the concept of confession. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about that story. I will absolutely – that is something I think that happens in – well, I'll back up. So I was, I think, 15, Mm -hmm. and I was going in for a Temple Recommend interview, which basically – is just saying you're worthy to go into the temple because Which, oh yeah that's a whole all, yeah the thing worthy to go in the church you have to have so not just a regular church there's okay. mormon churches that you go to every sunday then there's the temple there are less of them because yeah. they're more like regional like you'd go to the nearest one to you but you can't even go through the doors if you're not worthy so you have to have, you know, gone to interview with the bishop and he'll talk to you about things and you'll repent for things if you've done anything wrong. And then when he deems you worthy, you'll be able to go into the temple and do whatever it is the activity is. So, you know, we would go do things for youth group. And if it was going to be at the temple, you know, I had to have the interview with the bishop. Well, well, I I was 15 years old and hormones were raging and I had a boyfriend at the time and fooled around with him. And then felt super guilty because I thought, oh my gosh, like making out with a boy, like, you know, fooling around sexually. Oh my God, I've made a huge, I've sinned. I've done something horrible. The guilt was eating me alive. So when it comes time for my interview with the bishop, I was like, well, I have to tell the truth because you can't go. (laughs) I hear a little bell. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's cute. Um. You can't go into the temple if you've sinned. Like, that is a sin. So not only have you sinned, but then you went into the sin temple when you're when you're unworthy. So now it's in more You're doubling sin. down, yeah. Lots of sin. Whew, anxiety, I'm yeah. sure, through the roof. Now you're oh, just yeah. wondering. Oh, I'm sweating. Yeah. So first off, the interview with the bishop involves me being in a room with him with the door closed. Just me and him. This, like, 60-something, you know, 50-something-year-old man. And so I confess, basically, that, yeah, I've, like, um, done things with my boyfriend sexually. And he starts going into, well, what, like, sexual acts did you do? Where did he touch you? Was it over your shirt or under your shirt? Was it over your pants or under was there penetration? Was it with his finger or his penis? This is what this grown man was asking me, a teenage girl, in this room. Like, explicit a sexual child. questions. Yeah. And I just remember never being so ashamed or humiliated or dirty feeling in my life. Oh, And it was many years later that I looked back at this and thought, that was crossing a major line oh my god yes could you imagine again in any other context you know imagine this is a teacher like lo- like closing your kid in a room with the door closed and asking them explicit questions about what they do with their boyfriend right. 
So, and I just think other children in the Mormon church are going, Mm -hmm. are being subjected to this. Yes. That's very damaging. And I still, to this day, when I remember that, it makes me internally just cringe. It just feels disgusting. Yes, I would agree. (laughs) And it felt very invasive. Like they were probing to get the Mm -hmm. details of the story so that they could Matt, whatever. I don't even know. Yeah. Don't even want to think about it. Because it's like, why was it necessary for you to know all of those details right. in order to be able to tell me if God was going to forgive me? Right. Because God either forgives you or he doesn't, right? Yeah. And plus God, by your own belief, he knows all those details already. So why do you need to know them? Exactly. That's why I get frustrated, like, theologically. I'm like, how does this make sense? Mm-hmm. At all. What are you gaining from these details that you're asking of a child yeah power structure control shame internal all those things yes and then for months i cried after that for months because i thought i don't know if i'm forgiven or not am i forgiven yet when will i know if i'm forgiven yeah and when i look back now and realize none of that pain was necessary Mm. that's the kind of thing that really would make me angry. And that's why I struggled with that anger for so long. And how do you feel now? I've actually allowed myself to be angry. (laughs) I allowed myself to feel it Mm. and to feel rage and to let myself cry. This was done to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't deserve this. And I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Exploring who you are whether that's sexually or otherwise, Mm -hmm. is you're right. Yes. And like as a teen, those are formative years and Mm -hmm. it's okay to feel desire. Masturbation is healthy. Mm -hmm. And I know we keep talking about masturbation, but it's healthy. (laughs) I just am so frustrated that some religion would claim to have authority over your biological needs. Yes. Well, not only authority over them, but to teach you that they are wrong. Yes, exactly. having feelings that literally you do not control Mm -hmm. is a result of your imperfection right so if you think you are inherently wrong as a being how does that not impact every other aspect of your life it does i think that's why i would get so mad and i just i would get mad because i know that other people out there are dealing with the same thing from these kinds of organizations were you like depressed at that time i started having problems with depression i would say in middle school and it really peaked in my 20s i was dealing with depression at the time mm-hmm. i say that because i'm i'm thinking of my own experience i remember telling my therapist that stark <laughs> but i just like didn't think that i was gonna live i thought that in my 30s i would kill myself and like put my head in an oven and just die Sylvia Plath style. Yeah, exactly. I don't know mm-hmm. how that was the thing, but that was the thing for me where it's just like, yep, I'm going to have kids and I'm literally going to hate my life and I'm just going to die at some point. That's going to be normal. And then saying that to my therapist and, I, and like just kind of being baffled at the time of being like, I don't know why I was like this. I don't know why I was like this. And she's like, you were in a structure that wasn't in accordance with your values. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that you wouldn't want to live that life. And I was like, oh, shit, that makes a lot of sense because I don't – now, I don't feel like I want to die at 30. I'm Mm -mm. excited to explore all the aspects of me and my life. But at the time, I just felt so restricted that I was like, "Mm, this is just going to be what it is. Yeah. I'm just going to have to accept that. And like with any ideological structure, to just be like, oh, I'm going to have to accept this. I'm going to have to accept that this is the reality. It's like, no, 
please stop. Yeah. Please rethink and please reimagine and recognize our ability to define meaning and value in this world. Oh my gosh, yes. No, I know. And I feel like that's why this religion story and people who leave the religion, I think, are so powerful because they've gone through that experience of redefining their meaning. Mm-hmm. I can look now yes. and see how much happier I am. Oh my God, yeah. Being on the other side of this and how I feel like now life is full of just so many exciting possibilities. And colors and yes. just life. It felt like my family became more authentic with each other when we left the church. It really just felt like... <laughs> you know those Claritin commercials oh where it's like all foggy <laughs> and then they Claritin they Claritin clear <laughs> like, yes yeah yeah it's leaving that I would agree leaving the church I felt like oh my god I can breathe yeah I can relax and just mm. be okay with myself damn exactly and we <laughs> that say that felt good now being here yeah not at the first days of walking away where oh. we were probably like me crying saying i don't know what i'm doing i don't yeah. know what this is and all those you know moments of having to ask ourselves that was not a fun journey and it even still yeah. comes up you know in uh, like these small random moments where you think mm-hmm. you've like fully let go of it and then you're like oh why am i still doing this you're like damn that might be a remnant and even that like yeah. having to ask yourself like yep. constantly like is like, this me or is this the ideological thinking even that's right. its own fun anxiety peace game and i think that's why when my sister was here i was like mm. it's like what do you so interesting because like the patriarchal concepts of like oh you shouldn't patriarchally want to save someone but then equally like hearing everything that you say hearing everything that is that structure and then having someone that you love in that and you're just like how could i not want to preach to them but if they're happy they're happy there but at the same time are they right are you really happy or do you just feel like you don't have another option you know, I've had people tell me, you know, that I need to tone it down or that I'm being really angry or that I should, you know, and I'm not here to bash people's beliefs. Exactly, right. If it genuinely makes you happy and brings joy to your life, then I support you making that choice. But mm-hmm. my concern is for people who were like me who feel trapped in it but don't feel open to be able to say that they feel trapped in it. Right. And it just makes me sad that these churches are continuing to perpetuate very damaging cycles yes, in real people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes fully back to what you said earlier of to admit that you're unhappy in this religion or any religion kind of takes this level of rec- like people think it's their fault. Mm-hmm. That if I'm unhappy, it's because I'm not a good enough believer. It's because I have so much sin. Yeah. It's because this and that. I'm not doing it right. Exactly. And so that's the struggle, right? Where someone's like, no, I'm unhappy. I don't like this. But then they push it back to them and be like, it's because of me. And then that can just keep going and going. You get better. You feel the high. You feel connected. And then you feel back low. Yep. And that's what mine frequently felt like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd go to the, you know, retreat. Yeah. And leave just feeling this sense of, yes, like I, oh, yeah. Oh, I've been fulfilled. I can do this. I've got this. And then daily life settles back in Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm just not good enough. Exactly. And it just continues. And they just over and over and you just convince yourself, all I have to do is work harder. Mm -hmm. If I work harder, I will achieve this happiness. And so you just continue to push yourself to unbelievable levels. Knowing having two people that have been in it to have not been conscious of it ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
to becoming conscious of it. And once you see the truth, you can see the truth. Mm -hmm. And it gets very hard to imagine how we could have ever existed in that headspace before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It makes me tired looking back at it. And it's interesting how capitalistic it is. You just work harder. You'll be happier. Jesus. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Jesus, save us now. (sighs) What's a piece of advice you wish you could have gave to yourself? That you really are okay as you are. Mm. this isn't the only way to be. I think just like really if I had internalized that I had a choice, which I eventually did. Yes, yeah, yeah. But ideally I would like for other people to not have to grow up in that, you know, have to go so many years struggling. Exactly. To find that. And if you're the person hearing this for the first time, feeling these thoughts, to have compassion for yourself, that this is going to be a huge change of re-understanding your context of religion. It's a really tough journey that does not just change overnight. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is a switch of your religion. Maybe it's from one to another that fits you better. And even that is difficult. So just like having the compassion for yourself that even though it's not a capital T trauma, like a lot of society likes to say, I would say this is a huge capital T trauma. I really think it's the equivalent of spending years in an abusive relationship. Yeah, your whole worldview. And I think that's why I'm so passionate to have these conversations because it's like, yes, this needs to have a space because yes, this is traumatic. This is a huge 180 of how you see yourself, the world, everything. Yeah. I really think that there's a level of PTSD PTSD for a lot of people involved. You know, I still to this day, if I even get invited to any kind of church function, I feel this pit in my stomach. Like I can't go, I can't go near it. Walking through church doors stresses me out. I mean, it's super normal. The literature talks about that. I like break out in a sweat. (laughs) Even physical responses. Mm. I remember when I first started pulling away and like walking away from religion. I felt like my religious friends would always look at me and say, like, are you happy? Like, are you sure? Like, are you really happy? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's always this narrative that if you leave the church, you're filling your void for Jesus with a million other things. Right. And it's like, if I could just say one thing, I am so much happier yeah. than I ever was in a fundamentalist religion. I didn't know I could be this confident. Yeah. Or that I could be this at peace with myself. I really didn't. If my old self, (laughs) I feel like my old self would look at my current self with a mix of terror and awe and jealousy. And jealousy. But like, also, I mean, we're witches compared to our old self. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm a vastly different person than I pictured myself being when I was like 16. Certainly. I'd like to think my 16 year old Mm. self would look at me currently. And think like, wow, she's cool. <laughs> she escaped. <laughs> she got out. Wow. But yeah, I'm really proud of yes, having come through be. it. Yes. I feel like even now, I almost have this little sense of, oh, God, like, who's going to listen to this? What are they going to think? Are they going to hate me for, like, spreading shit about probably? But yeah. these were lived experiences. Yes. So I just kind of remind myself, these are truths that are hard to say and mm-hmm. not palatable to hear, but that need to be spoken. Yes. And I love your grounding in that moment, right? Like, here comes another thought in your head of, like, are these people going to judge me for what I'm saying? And to redirect and be like, No. This is my lived experience. This is my truth. And this is my trauma. Yeah. 
That's wow. powerful. Feels, you know, pretty good. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> it's super delightful, all this drama that we went to. But like on the, I mean, like not toxic positivity, right? But like on the other side, I'm sure it made you who you are today. I think so. And there's just a level of peace. I can't say that all bad things came of it. I think as a person, I'm a lot more introspective, you know, because when you're a kid thinking that deeply about your actions and your thoughts, you know, I think you really become very observant. You Mm -hmm. become very introspective. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that many people on this podcast were raised religious. That's not a bad point. No, I do think <laughs> You're not that, wrong. Yeah, I do think that Christianity is preparing people for anarchy. <laughs> like, just like, oh, wait, I have to throw out all these beliefs? I'll throw out all of them. Like, what do I know now? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Right. I really think it's like prepping people right. to just be like, I'm a liberated person after this. Yeah. And I'm, you know, kind of defensive of yeah, as you that be. now because I've worked be. so hard to get to this place. Exactly. And I'm protective of not wanting to lose myself again. Yes. So that's another kind of big topic of conversation with my therapist a lot of the time. Oh, I love it. It's never yep. – the healing work is never over. Never done. <laughs> and I'm always like, ooh, what's the pretty bow to the end of this conversation? It's like there doesn't have to be a pretty bow at all. Like literally what you said, I'm confident that so many people who have gone through the same experience will just hear your words and feel them. Certainly hope so. And that but, that alone yeah. is normalizing and bringing into a community – of people who maybe have thought about these thoughts but been to for a multitude of whatever reasons not able to express them right yeah so thank you (laughs) yeah thank you i do have to ask you the one question that i ask everyone on this podcast (laughs) what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal not having all the answers like it's okay for there to be mystery I think because having grown up with the background I did, religion claims to have all of the eternal answers. And leaving that and then facing a world with more mystery where there wasn't just an answer laid out for me was very scary. But also I think there's a lot of beauty in that. Mm. Um, And just embracing that you don't know, but we're going to go on this journey anyway and we're going to find out. That is something that I've really embraced throughout this process letting go mm-hmm. wow. letting go of control which makes sense too especially within a religious framework you had to control everything mm-hmm. down to your thoughts your dress your actions to then yeah. reach the space of letting go it's very freeing and scary all at the yeah. same time let's be really honest right like yep. we have like I, I i do have some levels of jealousy for the people that are in religious structures that tell them oh god is directing this yeah. god is the person who is making sure that your whole life is going to be according to his plan and he has good and prosperous plans for you quote 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 something mm-hmm. everything's going to be fine exactly wow what a beautiful thing to fall back on and know like oh yeah that sucked today but god's got a plan mm-hmm. yeah so embracing the opposite of oh Maybe some other religious structure, but for the most part, this is a chaotic, unknown every single moment. Literally, the future is inherently unknown. I can't promise that, you know, either of us, this is dark, but I always like, I can't promise that I'm going to live to tomorrow. Yeah. And and I think even Christians and some people would resonate with that, but like, Mm -hmm. there is no one controlling this. Yeah. And like, letting go of that level of control is difficult. And so I want to know, what is the beauty that you see in that? It allows you to enjoy every moment more. Mm. And it allows you to really 
feel what you're feeling yeah and experience your life because if you think well this doesn't matter because the life after this is the one that really matters then you might not be taking the time to really experience things to really feel the moment yeah I mean, that's <laughs> it's a, a very like yeah yolo kind of feeling but i really think that it makes you cherish this life more certainly right because you're living for this life not for the next mm-hmm. which is most religions proudly proclaim that they're living for the next life not yeah. of this world yeah remember all the sticker bumpers i don't know those were frequently around in my community of like <laughs> we're not of this world we're of like the heavenly world yeah. so we don't do these things yeah and it, even in that, when you're letting go of the control, right, and all the answers, like, I feel like it's a very beautiful moment to feel the grandeur mm-hmm. of the existence, kind of like, you know, those moments when you walk up to a mountain and you feel how small you are and really recognize that you have no control. Yeah. And, you know, when we look at ourselves as little tiny dots on this blue dot inside a really big, 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 big galaxy that we don't know the end of that we don't have the answers to and seeing the beauty in that, I think it really puts you into the right kind of perspective of like, I think it allows you to let go of a lot of these like difficult things that we might be holding on to of like resentment, mm-hmm. you know, anger, these pieces and like learning to accept it and be like, this is what it is and I'm going to move forward from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> got very existential i know i'm like over here let me just put in the philosophy that nothing matters we're on a blue dot don't forget could die tomorrow celebrate today break (laughs) um but yeah no i think i think a lot of people will resonate with so so much of what you said today so it was really beautiful to have you on thank you for having me yeah it was really fun yeah thank you If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Yuri Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.